And the second thing we needed to do, we needed to take all these great insights and make sure we brought them to the surface so that the user didn't have to work hard to discover all these cool nuggets and learning and, and, and actionable items in their training. We wanted to surface that for them. That trap on show 199. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I interview Tim Cusick, who is the Training Peaks WKO5 product leader and the owner of Velocious Endurance Coaching. Tim coaches several pro cyclists, such as, uh, for example, world champion Amber Nieben, but our discussion today is mostly around WKO5, the analytics software. I highly recommend, if you haven't, that you listen to episode 72, where I previously interviewed Tim about WKO4 first, because what we discussed there, that's uh, really the basics of WKO4 or WKO in general. And uh, those things have stayed the same, the, the power duration model, the power duration curve, and all the things that come from it. So so t- today's episode is a follow-up to episode 72. We're, talk about, we're talking about things that are new to WKO5, and, uh, and I think that uh, you'll get the most out of this if you already know a bit more about uh, WKO4. Of course, if you're already a user of WKO software, then you might be able to jump right into, into this episode. But importantly about this episode, it's uh, definitely not just new features and metrics and data, but it's how to apply the information and improve your decision-making as a coach or a self-coached athlete. So we don't want to get overwhelmed with data, uh, as Tim points out. On the contrary, we want to make sure that that data facilitates better decision-making and the decision science is a, a point that he makes repeatedly through the interview, and I really liked that concept. Before the interview, big thanks to our sponsors. First, we have Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com. There is a great blog post on their website that I read recently, which is called Salt and the High Blood Pressure Hypothesis. And uh, I really uh, enjoyed reading it because uh, I'm somebody that uh, likes to eat quite salty food. And uh, this article discusses appropriate salt intake guidelines for first, like just going through what are the guidelines for sedentary people, but then what are athletes' requirements, actually, endurance athletes' requirements, and how different that can be from the guidelines, and especially if you are a heavy sweater and a salty sweater. So, for example, Andy Blow, who wrote this article, says that he can lose 6,000 to 8,000 milligrams of sodium in a hard two-hour run, whereas the normal salt intake guidelines in the UK and the US are to consume between 2,000 to 2,500 milligrams per day. So a third of the sodium that Andy would lose in that two-hour run. So clearly nowhere near enough for Andy, and the same would be true for me, for sure. So it's definitely worth giving a read to to make sure that uh, that you actually understand that normal salt guidelines, sodium intake guidelines for sedentary people aren't necessarily applicable to us as endurance athletes. You can try electrolyte products from Precision Hydration for free. Your first box or tube is free when you use the promo code that show all one word, all caps. 
Take their free online sweat test first and then they will tell you which uh, electrolyte strength you should go with, which uh, one works best with uh, your estimated uh, sweat rate and sweat sodium content in particular. Big thanks also to Roka that you can find on roka.com. One of my favorite Roka products is uh, on the eyewear side, the sunglasses side, and it's the Aviator sunglasses. And uh, the backstory to these uh, eyeglass- sunglasses is pretty entertaining. It all started with five bucks at a gas station when Jesse Thomas bought a cheap pair of uh, Aviator sunglasses uh, at a gas station and ended up winning, I believe it was Wildflower, I can't remember from my head, but I think so, in these uh, aviators. And that later became the catalyst for Roka Optics and their goal to redefine the standard in both style and performance with their eyewear. So check out uh, the eyewear sec- sector as well as wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, uh, whatever you may need in those departments on roca.com. And you can get 20% off your entire order with the promo code TTS, all caps. Without any further ado, let's get into the interview with Tim Cusick. So welcome back to that triathlon show, Tim. How are you doing? I'm doing well, you? Very good as well. Uh, you have uh, WKO5 uh, running here on my second screen, so uh, so I'm all uh, all in the right mood for, for this interview, which uh, will, of course, uh, discuss WKO5, the new and updated version of the WKO software. Uh, for those listeners that haven't uh, heard the previous episode, I highly recommend that you go and listen to that, where Tim talks about WKO in general, but in that case, specifically to WKO4, I guess. This, this interview will be more about the, the new things in the new and updated version. So maybe we start there. Can you just uh, list and briefly discuss the things that are new in WKO5 compared to the previous version, WKO4? Sure. No, glad to. And it, it's probably better to do it. Let's talk about kind of the why we did it and why we upgraded. And then I'll give you the list just a bit. Give a little better understanding. So the reality is when we introduced WKO4, um, my partner, Kevin Williams, and the team that we had put together, our goal was really to bring a true analytic engine to endurance sports. We had seen all this, you know, all these new devices, everything measures power now, right? All these high-end users and people have better access to, you know, data and information than ever before. So WKO4, the goal was to bring an analytics engine give people a tool to begin to use all this data in a kind of custom and unique way, you know, find their own solutions and answers. Well, that was a huge success, as you know, and being a big fan and everything. Um, and, and we've created a lot of great work in the last five years of WKL4. But we've also saw a lot of the fact that because those analytics and the development of all the custom analytics um, had a learning curve, that it really was people who saw themselves as the high-end user who were really leveraging the advantage of what WKL4 brought to the table. So when we started with five, what we wanted to do was take all the great learning that we learned while using that analytics engine and, and understanding, you know, training data, power data, heart rate data, all these new metrics and devices that were coming and saying, how do we take all of that benefit, but bring it into a more friendly user uh, a better user experience so that more people could access it and enjoy the benefits. So we really started out with that goal because the reality is when we look in the marketplace, the high-end user 
is really good at analytics to some degree anyway. And with a tool like WKO in their hands, they can really validate and do the deep thinking. But if you think about how analytics work in endurance sports, it's the everyday user who actually would benefit the most, meaning they would, you know, would you get an improvement in 10 or 20 or 30% in your, your training effectiveness and efficiency? Yeah, that person might get it. Somebody who already is deeply educated, does a lot of analytics anyway, had five or six Excel spreadsheets and five or six other programs. Yeah, they were probably going to get a couple percentage points of improvement. The everyday user, if we can make it simple and get them the key data they needed, the key insights, as we tend to term it, that was the people that can now gain from this analytics engine. That's why we brought WKO5 to bear. We wanted to take all of that great analytics being accessed by a high-end, you know, audience that's done, a, you know, put in a fair amount of time into learning and, and about analytics and that learning curve of using an analytics engine. So when we did that, we said we need to do two things in WKO5. One, we got to make it an easier user experience. WKO4 was like an analytics engine, right? We needed to make WKO5 just easier to navigate the user interface and user experience, UI, UX, as they tend to refer that to, had to be something that wasn't as intimidating and for and was easier for people to navigate. And the second thing we needed to do, we needed to take all these great insights and make sure we brought them to the surface so that the user didn't have to work hard to discover all these cool nuggets and learning and, and, and actionable items in their training. We wanted to surface that for them. So that's the overarching why. I know that's a little longer answer than a shorter answer, but I think it's important if you think about what's happening in the endurance sports world, we're still adding more and more data. You know, I just got done working with a team that's monitoring glucose insulin. You know, can we do that in WKO? Yes. You know, I was working the other day with somebody with some new swim data and something really cool they're doing with swim data. Can we analyze that? Yes. So now we can not only do all that, continue all that great side, but we're making it more accessible to the everyday athlete. Yeah. And here's a, a piece of feedback for you, because uh, I've been using WKO4 for, for quite some time well before we we talked uh which was uh, over 100 episodes ago uh 130 episodes ago it's, it's quite some time actually but uh, wko5 just out of the box it was a really good user experience no learning curve at all it, it's uh, similar to wko4 of course it helps to have that wko4 experience but it's it's different and i could see that for somebody new it would be so much easier to navigate. The navigation has really improved. But also the other thing that you alluded to there, uh, that you have a lot of, like not a lot, but you have enough uh, charts and dashboards set up from the start, like out of the box, that give the, give the users all the basic insights that they, not just basic, but the insights that they need, but not necessarily going too deep into the weeds, which you, you can do as well. And, and I think personally, I haven't really done I haven't really created a single uh, customized dashboard yet in WKO5 in a month or so of using it because I think that all of the most important things are already covered in those out-of-the-box dashboards that you have created, which, again, it just contributes to that great user experience that uh, that I really want to uh, to credit you with because that has definitely been a goal achieved from, from my perspective, at least. Wow. We're going to put that in the brochure. <laughs> um, that's, I appreciate you saying that because it really, and it's funny when you start talking about new software with all kinds 
kinds of cools of bells and whistles to talk about simplicity, right? But it's so important. We have such a broad audience, so many different types of people, people with time, people without time, coaches, athletes, weekend warriors, now beginning to track and utilize data to just get a bit of a result, right? Because what are you really trying to do? Use your time more efficiently. And this whole design, this whole evolution was to do that. Now, don't get me wrong. We packed in some really cool new features, some which you see right off the bat and are like, okay, that's a, a clear feature. And others which are going to have bigger impact downstream, they might seem a little quieter now, feel a little like less subdued. But I would guarantee you as you see data going in a in a in an ever-changing direction, I think we see some evolution of the way we're looking at endurance sport data that WKL5 will be ahead of, and it's already paying off benefits, some of the decisions we made. So one of the questions you asked me was for a new feature list, right? I'll give you the list of stuff, just a couple of highlights. Um, We've actually introduced some new physiological metrics, and we pulled up like modeled VO2 max and some muscle fiber type. We're just making better use of them in the system. We have the new training impact score, or TIS as we uh, call it, and we should probably go into that a little deeper more, but it's a new way of looking at the impact of training on energy systems. We have introduced dynamic functional reserve capacity, a little bit of a system of looking at workouts and tracking your anaerobic energy and how you expend anaerobic energy during a workout. One of the coolest functions, I probably could have put this as one of the top ones, is we introduced a dynamic multi-threshold management. In the world of triathletes and triathlons and multi-sport and people who train, of course, even if they don't participate in a multi-sport event that are training across multi-sports, as power now has evolved into running and has evolved into swimming and is being evolved into rowing, we're seeing all these things, right? You can't count on threshold being the same number. You're running threshold is different than your cycling threshold is different than your rowing threshold, right? So we've introduced a dynamic multi-threshold management system, which sounds like a simple thing, but man, is that complex and hard to do because you have to pull all of these metrics based off those individual thresholds. We have a cool new feature also, one of my favorite fun features that's now turning out to be an even more effective work tool than I thought is smart segments. Um, we've introduced some new indoor training analytics, including indoor-outdoor modeling and things like that, so that we have a better job of being able to tell uh, your data, your modeled information, whether you're training inside and out. And I would say the most interesting feature we have seems like one of the simplest, but I can tell you is already making waves. And for me being, you know, I've been using it for about a year now, I'm way ahead of the curve, has absolutely enhanced and improved my coaching um, is now that we're syncing subjective metrics. So if you're loading HRV and daily feelings and workout feelings and sleep hours and quality of sleep, if you're loading that information into Training Peaks, we now sync it and download those subject subjective Training Peaks metrics. And they're not all subjective. HRV wouldn't be considered subjective, but it's just a terminology that we're using. Um, and you can use them in any analytic. And I'm telling you, that's very, very powerful. It really has shown 
some interesting correlation and correlation between athletes' feelings, recovery, rest, sleep, HRV, overarching training that I think is only the tip of the iceberg. As we begin to collect all those variables, we're going to learn more and more secrets about training the athlete. Just, just a quick uh, question about follow-up about that. Have you changed anything in your coaching in terms of how you give workouts, how you take those subjective metrics into account? Uh, what on, on a coaching or from a coaching view, I guess, has, uh, has yeah. that already impacted how you do? And can you give a, a little bit of a, a nugget about that? Absolutely. So as you know, I work with some pretty high level athletes, world champions, Olympians, and, you know, <laughs> life at that coaching level is always the razor as edge, right? <laughs> You're always pushing to extreme capability. And, uh, you know, you really need to do a great job. You need to really understand this kind of dose response relationship. Um, and it's not you as the coach dose response, right? It's what the athlete is going through. So for me in my normal coaching process, I do require my athletes to write subjective notes and actually participate in subject, subjective questionnaires post-workout. I've always been a believer in it. So answer number one is it's been automated. Meaning, and I know that's not quite what you, you were looking for yet, but I'll answer the, you know, the whole broadness is meaning they can enter all of that in training peaks one place, track it in the same way, track it on the same scale. I can make all my athletes on the same scale and thinking process and I'm simply syncing it. Now I'm building analytics with it. So then the answer to the question is yes, absolutely. You know what I found and, and I've seen this in, in studies before. Um, and it's always been one of my coaching systems, but I, I, I more deeply appreciate it and push it harder. An athlete that spends time getting in tune with their feelings, the communication of their subjective data will align and actually predict the objective response almost more so than the, actually potentially even more so than the, uh, actual data performance. So I'm a number cruncher to some degree. As everybody knows, it's what I do in, in data analytics and WKO. It's what I'm known for in the coaching. But the reality is I pay close attention to the subjective. Once you use that objective data to help an athlete better and better quantify their feelings, their subjective numbers, and this and that, and then match that with better recovery metrics and understanding of recovery, such as HRV and sleep, that whole picture really gives you a much better understanding of the timing of training. For those that follow me or know my coaching side, I preach all the time that we focus, coaches focus way too much on one workout and not a much on, as much on the training rhythm, the overall package, not one tree, it's the forest that matters. People ask me all the time, what's the perfect workout? And I say, What's your forest look like? What are your training? How consistent you're being? What are you trying to do? By adding more information to that, what I have learned, if you look at that big picture through the athlete's subjective eyes, they predict when they're uh, on the razor's edge of needing the rest. They predict um, the, uh, you know, uh, when they should be training and when they should rest. So as soon as you start recording it, analyzing it, tracking it, and working it with them, you you hone their skills to give you better feedback, right? And that's the secret of this type of data. You're using their actual performing data 
to improve their performance, <laughs> to improve the way you train them to improve their performance. So I think that evolution now, I'm more attentive to the subjective data. So I used to use the objective data and get use subjective data as color commentary. And I'm getting close to the point where maybe the subjective data is the data and the, the, the hard data, the objective numbers is going to be the color commentary. Mm. So, so if we unpack that a little bit, does that mean that, for example, if you, you, you measure how the athletes feel in the workout, you measure the session RPE, and uh, what I'm hearing you say, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that if you see that there's a trend that the session RPE is, uh, is uh, going up, it's getting harder, and perhaps the feeling that the athlete has in the workout is, is getting worse, they're not feeling as good, as strong, that they perform as well as they, as they did before, that's when you know that they might be stepping over the tracer set uh, and you're using that by tracking it specifically in, in WKO 45, you can actually visualize that and better use that information that you've always had. But, but now it's, it's just more, more clear and, uh, and visual, I guess. You know, that's some of it, but here's what it really is, right? So you think about data versus an analytic. Data is something, like you said, I'm measuring RPE and I get that daily. It's some number, whatever system you're using, right? And that's data analytics is when you can put a pool of data together, right? And that pool of data creates knowledge, a decision basis. It's not just data science, it's decision science, right? So you put that pool of data, four, five, six, seven, eight together, and it produces an analytic. Sometimes that analytic is a one number metric. Sometimes that's an observed group of data. Sometimes it's a chart going up or down or, or red, green, yellow, right? It could be a lot of things. When I say subjective data, understand we're collecting it all. RPE, stress, sleep, sleep and you know, that's that's objective. HRV, that's objective. So I'm kind of piling in that name. But the reality is I'm getting all of the variables that you could not get before. We could always get power data, right? And we could always get heart rate data, depending on what devices you have. And I could always know your cadence and and know you went for two hours and, and generated 125 TSS because you went 200 watts, you know, some number like that. But now we're painting the other side of the picture through analytics, not just one data stream. That's why we build an analytics engine. We don't want you to look at a data report. We want you to look at a analytic. So what I am taking is perceived exertion, life stress, their daily measured life stress, their morning HRV, their sleep. I'm collecting sleep through devices. Um, you know, we, we auto collect whoop and some other devices. So all of those plus a couple more. And I've actually designed one of my own custom questions or two, which I don't know, I'm going to kind of keep secret. So I have one, two, I have seven pieces of subjective data or, you, you know, focused on how well the athlete is going through a workout and recovering. I have then two analytics based off the same data that I look in an acute relationship somewhere ranging between two and seven days and a chronic relationship which in this case, chronic is somewhere between 14 and 30 days, 28 days, right? So, and I'm measuring that relationship between the two. Once you boil that down to an analytic and you help the athlete, you have, you can't just say, Hey, tell me how you feel. You got to give some guidance. You have to make sure you're on the same communicative point, which is easy. That's where you can use the objective data to quantify feelings. 
right? Then once you get that relationship going, now I'm tracking these pool, these two group together data streams that form an analytic that give me excellent insight. And I, I have seen time and time again, when you, once you establish that and you collect this group of more subjective secondary data, life stress, um, you know, all the things that we've been talking about, the athlete predicts it. Their, their subjective feeling predicts it. It aligns with sleep or HRV patterns, not always both, oddly enough. But there's a correlating group of data that begins to say, hey, this analytic is going from green, train hard, to yellow, warning, to red. The athlete, that combination of things literally predicts training workout or training short-term training rhythm success. That's fascinating. And we, we could talk for a long time about how you go about, like, I guess, uh, designing uh, uh, an analytic like that and without giving away your secrets. But uh, uh, that would perhaps be an episode for another day. Let's, let's get back into some of the, the things that, we, that you mentioned there that are new in, in WKO5. And one thing that I'm keen to discuss is the tra- training impact score that you, uh, that you mentioned. Ca- can you uh, explain what that is and how to use it? Sure. And training impact score is an excellent example of using insights, this idea of insights. You're going to hear me say a couple of times where we're bringing data to the surface. Instead of doing a bunch of analytics and this and that, we're simply going to bring it to the surface. So training impact score is, if you think about it, basically we make energy in two ways, aerobically and anaerobically. Now that's an oversimplification. You could talk about ATP, CP, lactate, all the different other functions in that. But if you want to just keep it simple, we make it anaerobically and aerobically. So what we are able to do, as you know, WKO4 and WKO5 have a robust power duration model, one of the most accurate model, we believe the most accurate model out there, and we've tested it to sell. Um, and it's a human performance model. That means we understand the performing human, you the as the athlete, right? So when you have this type of a model as a basis, and let's say, you know, that individual athlete goes out and does a workout, the model, the power duration curve really is two curves. We understand the way you make energy anaerobically. We understand the way you make energy aerobically combined. Those are the power duration model. So since we understand how you make energy, when you go out and work out, we can understand the impact, what system, which one of those two systems were you impacting for that workout? And there's lots of ways to do that. Time, intensity, interval formats, modality, you know, all kinds of different ways that you can do it. But you can begin to measure how the workouts that you do stress, I'm sorry, actually, I should say strain those systems. And therefore, you know, if you think about the classic, you know, we apply stress to a system, stress is external, you're riding your bike, you're generating watts, that's an external you're pedaling, right? It's external measurement. You generate a training stress score. That's just saying how much stress you put on the system. Now, when you apply stress to the system, it goes under strain. So strain is the internal, the response, what's happening to my body under that applied stress load. It's strain that leads to adaptation. So the strain my system goes. So you can apply the same stress to five different athletes. That doesn't mean they go through the same strain. They might make energy differently. They have a different muscular metabolic uh, process system. They're unique in that way, right? So since we understand your model, those five athletes applying the same stress 
might not have the same training impact score because it's measuring strain. It's giving you insight into the strain on your anaerobic and aerobic system. We've taken that scoring, that system, and we've simplified the scoring. And this took us, we were back and forth about this for months. We have a, we could generate a raw score, but since it's so individualized, it's a little bit hard to then give people feedback on how to say, wow, is this high strain or low strain, right? So we really just took it to a score of one through 10. And we basically look at it this way, whether it's your anaerobic uh, training impact score or your aerobic training impact score on a scale of one to 10, something like one through three. And there's actually a cool little scale on WKO5.com of this means you haven't done enough work to have any impact. Scale of four through um, seven is some varying form of maintenance, you know, and there's some different highlights of all the individual numbers there. And then once you start getting like eight, nine, 10, seven, eight, nine, 10, now you're, you're putting load to really put some quality stress on that individual system. That gives you clear feedback on the system that was impacted. And it gives you, uh, insights into future effective workouts. Meaning you could look at this workout, I'm going to go out and do three times 20 minutes at sweet spot. Maybe you do it 10 watts too hard and you're generating a lot more anaerobic impact than you thought. A lot of people make that, a ton of people make that mistake. Um, and you go out the next day and you do it 10 watts slower and wow, aerobically, that was really impactful. That helps people make these minor little improvements to the things they already sort of know or are trying because it's going to quantify the output. And if you want to do three times 20 minutes at sweet spot because you want to improve your aerobic, you want to push your threshold up from below, cool. Now I can make sure I'm doing that and actually getting that weighting. Go 10 watts, 15 watts too hard. Watch how quick it starts switching over to anaerobic, which is the flaw of sweet spot work when athletes go too hard. Now the coach or the self-coach athlete can really quantify that and see impact. Yeah, that's that's perfect. Uh, that's a really good uh, good way to to explain it, and and I've been enjoying seeing the impact that different workouts have from from a completely new new light with uh, with these scores. So I think that that's it's a fantastic new new feature, which is I guess one of the reasons that I put it as the first specific topic to uh, to discuss of the new features. Uh, the other one that or the next one I guess is uh, dynamic uh, functional reserve capacity, uh, which I guess can we preface this by saying that it's uh, uh, corresponding to w prime or exert has had their maximum power available it's not exactly the same as maximum power available but uh, but there's uh, a correlation there uh, just for listeners to to know what we're talking about if they're not familiar with the term functional reserve capacity yeah and that's fair to say so the reality is right when you talk about FRC, you're talking about anaerobic work capacity or anaerobic capacity. Those terms all get interacted way too often. They're slightly different things, and there's a reason to know that. But the reality is they're all generally the same idea, right? FRC is only different in anaerobic work capacity in the sense that it takes into account the small amount of aerobic contribution when you're over threshold. So if you're doing efforts over threshold, most of the energy is being supplied anaerobically, but the reality is all systems are always supplying energy at all times. You're still breathing, right? So you're still making some aerobic contribution. The simplest way to think about FRC and DFRC is, right, so functional reserve capacity and anaerobic work capacity basically is the measurement of how much continuous power you can do over threshold. Remember, the key phrase is continuous, not over, under, over, under. 
overpower. And that's why it's measured typically in kilojoules or joules, right? But to simplify it, it's your anaerobic battery. So imagine once you go over threshold, you're drawn down battery, right? And the further you go over threshold, the faster you draw down that anaerobic battery. So go really far over, you're draining pretty fast, right? Only go a little over, nah, you're draining at a controllable rate. So when you take FRC and that idea and you make it dynamic, it's a observational piece of data, meaning you can see over the course of a workout or an interval or a series of intervals, how quickly you're uh, draining that anaerobic battery. And then actually the rate of which it restores. Um, now, if you look at a chart, right, your power line might be up and down as you do intervals, but it's kind of flat, right? And it pops up during the interval and it pops down during. FRC, the idea of dynamic FRC is you're starting out with a full battery. Let's say that's 20 kilojoules, which would be a pretty good number, 20 kJs. Um, you go out and you do that. You do a five-minute near maximal effort, that might drain your 20 kilojoules down to five. But then you rest for three minutes in between, that might restore it back to 12. And then the next one might drain it all the way down to one because you didn't fully restore. So if you think about it, if you're going, if you're using dynamic FRC as a data point, as an observation of intervals or short, intense work or crits or even longer, you know, uh, uh, harder races, you can really see how much anaerobic energy, how you were burning down and the effect over time. Um, two caveats to that, that, you know, one versus what you said and just one addition. It is based off that same idea. And that idea has been around for a long time. Um, this idea of that we all know that we have an anaerobic battery. It is more limited than our aerobic system. Um, the two elements that's always been flawed and I've been critical of in the past, we can get the burn rate down pretty easy. The two things you can't quantify, and whether it's DFRC or the, the W prime model or the exert model is the recovery rate. And it's the recovery rate that, that, that kills you in trying to get it a hundred percent accurate. And we struggled for five years. And I would say right now it's good observational data. It's not perfect. And I don't think it will ever be. And here's why. If you went out today and let's say did the same workout I was just saying, let's say five, four times, five minute hard, you know, near max efforts with three minutes rest in between, four minutes rest in between, we can score pretty good the burn rate, right? And then you rest and you recover to a certain amount. And let's say you haven't been training for the last two days. You're well-fed. You slept great. You went out and did that workout. You're going to have the same burn rate, but your recovery rate would probably be pretty good because you're well-rested, you've eaten, your nutrition is good, all the elements are on. Now for the next four days, don't ride your bike. Don't eat. Don't sleep. Eat Doritos and drink Coke. Um, you know, do whatever, you know, kind of floats your boat. Don't take care of anything. Go out and repeat that same workout. The math would say your recovery should be the same. The variables say no way would you do as well, or it'd be pretty rare. I shouldn't say no way that you would do as well in that workout because your, your, your body, your, your, your kind of uh, training and envi personal environment has been bad. You haven't been sleeping. You're totally stressed. Your body, your nutrition has been bad. That's the strict, right? We think we have enough data to begin to get these things down because we have heart rate, we have power, we have cadence, we have time. 
But the reality is to really understand things like recovery rate, we need more data. We need more variables. We need to know what the athlete's doing, you know, uh, outside at all given times outside of just that workout. Now go circle back around to my point about subjective data. And you could begin to connect the dots of what I mean, some secret stuff, right? Because as we use that subjective data to better understand the environment the athlete's performing in, the more we can increase the precision of metrics like this. Hmm. One thing that I've used the DFRC uh, feature for is to see what the a good duration of intervals for, for the individual athlete is. Because yep. uh, the example with five-minute intervals, uh, really hard. That will work for for an athlete with a with a decent anaerobic battery, but for a lot of triathletes that are diesel engines with uh, small anaerobic batteries, that workout would just kill them. So, uh, so by looking at a workout like let's say you start with something something easier like two two minutes, and you look at the DFRC curve, you can see well how close do they get to actually emptying the the battery, and and that can then inform whether you go up to three minutes or possibly even four minutes, or if you just stay at two minutes for, for the next week's workout as well, uh, because they seem to already be be at a level that was very taxing on, on their anaerobic system. And of course, this can be combined with the training impact score. So so that's a use case that I found. Do you have any other suggestions for use cases for, for DFRC? That is a great one, by the way. If, if, if all coaches listen to what you just said, there would probably be a significant uptick in coaching quality and athlete performance. I mean, you, both from the physiology of what you said and understanding, because you just, you know, obviously one of our missions is to individualize training. No two athletes are alike. Um, understanding and being able to use these metrics, you're, you're doing exactly what I said in this. I know you're always so good at this. You know, you're putting together a couple of pieces of information to make an analytic. And then now you're using that analytic to prescribe and predict a performance, right? You're prescribing this athlete needs five minutes because they have more anaerobic. We need to burn that side off to some degree to get a, the same response where an athlete who might have a higher threshold, but not the anaerobic side might actually need shorter, you know, because they just don't have that anaerobic contribution. And then you're using that to predict how far they should go or, or to prescribe how long they should go. And then you're actually predicting, as you said, you know, maybe they stay at two minutes or they go forward. Again, you're going to go in the brochure. That's a perfect example. Um, I do believe in the observation sense. You know, this is one of the other areas. I always go into these obscure kind of areas because I think coaches should really always be honing their, their full coaching game. It gives me an excellent insight into mental out attitude in training. So if you go back to my subjective points, measuring perceived exertion, life stress, all these other ideas, and then an athlete goes out and their notes might say, I went as hard as I can, but they really weren't dumping the tank. And that makes me look, well, was the life stress too high? Was other And if I don't see those, eh, maybe they just weren't mentally you know, ready for that workout. Maybe there's a side of fatigue. I'm not ready. Maybe they're just, you know, this sounds horrible to say, but maybe they're just not good at going hard. In which case, as a coach, if I see an athlete who can't go hard, I need to do something that that impacts that side. So what do I do? I might send them that chart, sometimes visual. Sometimes the data forces you to not be personally biased, right? Did you really go deep here? You know, look, you're not really burning down. So there's different ways. But the, the observation of the DFRC gives me insight into how deep might be a better word than hard, how deep the athlete goes. And I immediately connect that back to their subjective data. Uh, when they collate good, um, when they don't, it makes me look deeper at what was the cause. Yeah, that's that's a great great use case as well. Absolutely. 
The next uh, thing to discuss then is uh, the multiple thresholds, which, uh, well, as you pointed out, for multi-sport athletes, this is uh, a fantastic addition and something that I know that as soon as WK4 was out, uh, a lot of people started asking about and <laughs> wondering <laughs> when, when it would be implemented. So, so now it's here and, uh, and it's exciting. So if we can talk about that in more detail. Yeah, the funny thing, it was just timing in WKL4. Right when we, you know, in the last six months of development of WKL4, running power announcements, you know, people were bringing out devices, right? You had Stride and Garmin moving into that marketplace, and we knew we were in trouble. Um, The challenge is it would have been easy in WKL4 to have just said, oh, let's just throw in a threshold and some other things. But we knew people wanted to use the power duration model and the resulting metrics. So we needed to spend time vetting and testing how that would impact those things. It, you know, and, and a lot of people say, well, what took you a certain amount of time to do it? Well, we wanted to make sure it was applicable to the analytics. It would have been easy to just throw a number out there. And unfortunately, I think that's what people do at times. But running is and cycling and swimming and rowing is like the core ones that we tend to see all our activity in, right? That what you would call FTP or threshold is not the same. Even if you look at how those generate, what what is recorded to generate the power is not the same. So we literally had to reinvent power analytics for each sport. It would have been easy to apply the same system, what we knew and had already intelligently learned in cycling, which is the most controlled, right? Cycling has a high gross mechanical efficiency. There isn't much variable in cycling, you know, um, it, it promotes good efficiency. You know, the, the physiological term, the, a human on a bike is very efficient. You don't have broad ranges of efficiency like you might have in swimming or, in, or I'm sorry, more so even in rowing. So we had to deal with all those variables before we could do it. The good news is it works really, really well now. And we have invented two different ways you can utilize sport type specific analytics. We have a what we call the uh, universal. We have a sport type selection, a little bar of just different sport type icons and you can look at all your data and say, I just want to see cycling. I just want to see running, or I want to see a combination of running and cycling, you know, so you can put them together, deassemble them or whatever you want, or you can hard code it as you build your own custom analytics. If you so choose, I mean, like your experience, we've given you very good sets. We don't want people having to feel like they ever have to build a chart. If you want to do unique analytics, cool, build away. We have those tools, but we don't want you to have to feel like you do. So you can look at sport specific. You can use our sport picker. But what it allows you to do is when you're training with running, you ride your bike the next day, you swim, and then you row, you're not using the same threshold. You're not generating the same universal training stress score. You're doing it off the individualized threshold of each. And these will simply just interact and work. It says Kevin Williams, who's kind of the driver of this vision, the whole driver of WKO, um, he calls it automagic, right? <laughs> it's automagic. You just, you got to set it up. Don't get me wrong. And you need to click some buttons, maybe depending on which way you go. But once set up, it'll manage all of those different data and do so accurately for the sport itself. It's not just going to apply the same rule to all sports. It individualizes the sports. What's your take on uh, the power duration model in running and the way that run training is typically done? In cycling, it's nat- natural that uh, that you do end up getting those uh, peak power outputs of different durations that uh, are needed to, to create a, uh, an accurate power duration model. But in running, for many runners, I think that might be an issue that uh, 
they only have certain durations like a 5k and a 10k that they and potentially a half marathon that they really go all out but especially those shorter durations might not always be be actually uh, done at, in an all-out fashion even if we're doing interval training it's uh, uh, if you if you're doing 10 times two minutes you're, you're not really going all out in in any single one of them so so how does that impact the the model of running in particular yeah no great question two answers to that question um one is yeah i mean the power duration model our official modeling system designed by dr andy coggan um is highly accurate but it's a highly accurate estimate and it needs a certain amount of data right it needs one hard short effort one hard medium effort and one hard longer effort. Um, short can be a couple of seconds sprint. Most runners actually, most uh, runners involved in endurance sports, you know, not, not just triathlon, but, you know, your marathon, your 5K runners, your 10, they don't do much sprinting. You never see the high-end side. So I've watched some pretty good coaches test the model. If they add the sprint, it will actually typically work pretty darn well. If you have a run, if you're running some consistent basis, uh, if you're doing 10Ks, it'll it'll do pretty pretty good. It'll do okay. Um, but that being said, it's not perfect. It's only going to take the, uh, what you've done. It doesn't know what you can do. It's not a total magic predictor. It's only taking what you've done and estimates what you can do. Now, yeah. one of the things that people miss, right, and I think we get unfortunately a little pigeonholed for this and we being the WKO brand um, some of the best coaches out there in running mix the power duration curve and the CP curve which might be a better use for runners but you can run that in WKO4 we gave the world an analytic engine we have a really accurate model for power duration that requires a short medium and long piece of data and if that isn't suited for you use the CP model Use your own model. There's five or six pretty good models. Go all the way back to the Bannister model. You can just program them in WKL4. It's an analytics engine, and that's why we gave you an engine. So I would think the best uh, the best practice for, you know, I don't coach runners. I, I come from the running field. I ran in, in high school and college. Um, I would say I would run both the power duration model and a critical power model. And use the both as the basis of the modeling side of my analytics. Um, I would bet you'd find them closer than you think if you did it. As long as the athlete where the, the CP model probably is a more appropriate tool than the power duration is if the athlete doesn't want to give you a 100-meter sprint. Um, if you have an athlete running who give you a 100-meter sprint every once in a while because you need that short, medium, long, um, let's say that takes – you know, a pretty good athlete, a pretty good distance runner, let's say 12 seconds, it will probably give you, you know, not probably. I mean, I've seen it time and time again, give pretty good numbers. I know people coach with it. If your athlete's like, I don't want to ever sprint for 100 meters, well, then maybe the CP model might be a better tool. But the closing point is this. My approach, as you know, and everything when I do webinars or in our Facebook group is don't just listen to me because I have an opinion. We wanted people to give a tool beyond all the, you know, talk about individual features. We want you to have a tool that if you don't like the power duration model and you want to look at it against the critical power model, go right ahead. That's exactly what we want you to do. We just want to improve your training. We're not, we believe that we have a really good system for doing that. Oops, sorry about that. But it's not an absolute. You should be able to go look and decide what you want to do. 
Mm, yeah, that's uh, that's a great answer. I was just thinking about uh, the, some of the the workouts that I prescribe for runners, and one thing that I do in in normal easy endurance workouts, I I sometimes prescribe hill sprints just to promote neuromuscular efficiency. So that might be four to six times ten second sprints up a hill with with a full recovery between between the sprints, and those would. Th- th- those are maximum effort- efforts essentially so, so it's not hard actually to get that data from a short sprint so as you say if you if you already do the the medium and the longer like the 5k and the 10k 10k runs then and then you have a have a pretty good model probably uh, automatically so so that's actually the the easy part that's missing because going hard for for longer is obviously much more much more difficult uh, mentally if, if nothing else yeah. and another thing that i thought of is that that you have uh, one thing that is new at least I never saw it in WK04. I may have missed it, but uh, you actually can make recommendations for what durations to to test to get a, an even more accurate estimate uh, in what the well if the power duration model becomes a more accurate estimate if you test, for example, one minute or five minutes or whatever may be missing for for that particular athlete. So that is something that uh, that coaches or athletes can can also apply to uh, to see if they have a feeling that their power duration curve isn't necessarily quite accurate then just go and have a look at those uh, those suggestions and and that that should help help get it get it a bit more accurate yeah it is new to wko5 it's in the insight exactly so you're kind of touching on what we again another thing we call insight so instead of somebody have to figuring out like what you know it that's our idea of unstructured testing formal testing intimidates people right unstructured testing hey as part of today's effort you know just add in a maximum 45 seconds or something like that but you don't what you you do end up doing right is in the insight section, it not only tells you time, look close at that little chart, it even gives you a target power to exceed. <laughs> so it's kind of funny, their target number is in there to say, like in cycling, and you use power in a clean way, it might say, all right, it's time for your medium test. Your medium test is, I don't know, one minute and 25 seconds, and it wants you to try to hit 450 watts or above. It literally, because the model does a really good job of estimating what you can do, it just can't predict. So in places where, and that we do that by using mathematics known as normalized residuals, we kind of pull that out of the model to what will have the impact that we want. And then yet we can give you an estimate of a tar- you know the target, which then if you want to up it, if you're getting fitter and fitter, you should be able to exceed. Now, or more less and less fit, right? Let's say you've been sitting on the couch for 30 days, you know, but you know the target you should even be targeting. So it really does help guide people in that way. And the funny thing is people will say, well, wow, I'm, 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 I'm having to do tests, you know, and, and make this model work. You have three tests you need to do over a 90 day basis, a short, a medium and long. And as long as you're just kind of rolling those through, you never really have to do a formalized test. You just blend that into your training. If you're racing, you don't even need more than that. Just race and the model will stay up with you. So the reality is it's a much simpler system. Yeah, I've done exactly that. As you say, incorporate, for example, a one-minute effort into a workout. Like before you do these these intervals at a specified power that is not all out, then just do a a one-minute test. And I wanted you to try to exceed this power with a couple of athletes. And and it's, uh, yeah, it's not seen as formal testing. It's just seen as, okay, this is part of the workout. So so I do it. And uh, and I think that that works brilliantly. 
let's uh, move on to the smart segments that you talked about this being being another of the uh, the new great uh, and fun features that uh, that you have in WK5 what can you tell us about that yeah so this kind of, there's a story kevin williams and i um were on a on a we were doing a, a bike ride and we we're doing a, a the course we weren't actually even in the official century it's this 100 mile around here called the civil war century and uh we had met and we were just talking over some other stuff so we went we were like all right we're gonna knock out a 100 mile ride and we're doing these climbs and we were like, wow, you know, we know that that this climb, this climb, this climb. And it was like, okay. And then we 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 had a little friendly competition that day. Let's just leave it at that. And uh, you know, after that fact in some conversations, it was like, hey, you know, wouldn't it have been cool to have all the analytics of that? And then because I could go out and do it and maybe I could put out more power, you know, alone or or you know, Kevin and I ride very differently. So I, you know, were we throwing each other off? So we came up with this idea of doing smart segments, not that the idea of some type of like a king of the mountain segment and other things are out there. We know that that's all been around. Strava does it, Garmin does it, other people do it. And that's well known. But we thought about what would it, would it be cool if we could analyze those places that had a lot of climbing, and I think like seven distinctive climbs. And we're like, all right, if we could analyze those and see who was really putting out the most power or, you know, how is it happening? So we came up with the idea of smart segments. And basically what a smart segment is, is you do a workout, right? And let's say you you have your local climb. Let's say you're in France and your local climb is Alpe d'Huez. Let's pick a famous one because everyone will know it and can visualize this, right? And at the bottom, you hit your lap button. At the top, you hit your lap button. And that's your segment. That's your That's a lap. When you load that to WKO, you can save it as a smart segment. You could actually just drag over it and save it too, but it's easier to do as a lap. Now, what WKO will do is every time you have done Alp Tuez, it'll search and find it, not only for you, the athlete who made it, but for any of your other athletes who have been up Alp Tuez. And it will show you all of the times you've been up there. And then you can, in the simplest format, right, you can rank that by speed or rank them by power. So let's say I've climbed Alp Tuez 52 times. Like I have a local climb, which I now have done 52 times. <laughs> and it's like, okay, well, I can see where I do better, where I've done worse, you know, how I, like, I'm 53 years old now and I just don't hit the numbers I used to. So <laughs> I'm kind of hoping to break my own personal top 10 when I go out there these days. Um, so I kind of get that feedback. So you think, okay, that's interesting enough. I get it. You capture, capture a GPS track. Every time I do it, it just keeps populating. It's smart. I don't have to mark it in the future. I don't have to do anything with it. It just does it. But two things with that, right? One is segments is its own section. So that segment that every time I've done Alp Duez, I can use the WKO compare mode, which I'm sure you're familiar with. I can just select maybe the top five times I've done that. And I can build custom analytics to look for trends in when I perform great. Like one of my favorite things to do is look at the top five times and not quite the bottom five times because sometimes you're just not going hard. But, you know, there's a point where you see drop off, maybe the the lower five at effort and look at differences in trends. Was my cadence the same? Was my power trending up or trending down? Did I go harder at the bottom and lose steam but still go faster or did I roll into it and go a little easier on the bottom? It really becomes insightful into how you run these segments and then, you know, you can do the same on any geographical track. Most of us train in the same three to four areas. 
we do our same intervals. If you were to go out and probably do, if I said, you know, go out and do 20 minute intervals or five minute intervals, you probably immediately visualize the one to two locations that you do them on. So capture them as a segment and you have them all, right? And you have the ability to compare. But then most importantly, you can create a custom group of analytics, a dashboard to particularly analyze that segment if you wanted to. Alp versus my local, you know, one minute burner hill, my one minute max hill. Um, you can do that analytic. And why it was so interesting, here's a, a little case study where I won't use numbers, but it, it was like, even though we invented it and I've, you know, we've been using it for, I've been using it for about a year now. It, I was over in uh, Harrogate over in England. I have an athlete coming up here with world championships in, in a couple of weeks and we were pre-riding the course. And that course is highly unique. It actually has like three distinctive areas of which in the middle distinctive area, there's again, three distinctive areas. So what was really cool to do is we wrote it day one just to experience it. I went home. I, I had marked my lap. I was riding with her. Um, I marked my laps as we were going. And I immediately just saved them all a smart segment. So now when day one, we were over there for about 10 days. Now when day one, I had all the segments. And then the next day, and this was, I was over there with Amber, Amber Neben, um, we went out and we rode it at closer to race pace. Now let's see what happens when we go fast. And then we looked at those numbers and we learned something between slow and fast. And then I said, okay, Amber, let's break it down to the segments. And over the next couple of days, let's learn about how we can run these segments. So we ran the course, but we focused on segment. And by the time we were done, we had about 10 to 12 of each segment and a whole lot of learning. Um, it was pretty cool to take one of the things that you invented that was fun, that you really are like, uh, you know, uh, hey, Kev, let's compete. That's really what it comes out. Hey, Kevin Williams, let's compete, right? That's kind of how it started mentally. And it becomes something like, wow, this is a really good tool. <laughs> I mean, I always knew it was a tool, but using it at that level and in that perfect scenario, you're talking about a world, you know, championship time trial course to break it down, even for me, was pretty telling. I actually posted it in the Facebook group, not all the data results, but how we broke it down and how we did it. It was pretty cool. Yeah, that, that sounds really great. And I haven't used it personally much yet, but I, I do have some use cases that I plan to use it for. And I think most athletes, if they have, for example, a race locally, they can do the same sort of thing that you did with Amber there and uh, pre-ride the course and then break it down into important segments and and start to see what works for each different segment. And that's what I'm going to do here. I have coming up in the end of September uh, the Ironman Saint Cascais, which is a local race for me. So, and there's a an, an ascent and a, and a descent there that that I want to to experiment with and make smart segments and ride them multiple times and see see how I can make the most of them, uh, get the the most amount of speed for for the least amount of effort and and experiment with what the best way to do that is. So, haven't used it much yet, but uh, but I can definitely see the uh, the benefits and and the potential use cases for that. So, so it's definitely a an exciting a new feature. And then uh, if we go into the next thing that I wanted to discuss is uh, what is your personal coaching workflow in WKO5 as a coach? What happens when you fire up the software in the morning? Great question. Um, you know, it's funny. I always say this too in some of my webinars. One of the hardest things to do is to talk about your own process because once you do it enough, it just becomes so habit. You're not, you have to kind of sit down and think about it for a little while. What is, exactly is your process? So your question made me think about that. It's a great question. To me, 
I am a very process oriented person and it's like, because I'm habitual in certain ways, I, I, I everything I look and touch, I want to end a, uh, or lend a time efficiency to. So for me, I have a three-step process whenever I'm interacting with the athlete, um, with the data side, when I'm sitting down and I'm looking at data. And that's just true for, you know, typically whether I'm sitting down to write training plans or I'm sitting down to do an analytics with on an athlete or I'm preparing for a meeting. I have the same three-step process every time. And I never really thought about it quite this way until you asked me. I review, I make decisions, I create solutions. So what I mean by that, when I sit down in the morning, the first thing I do is I'm a reviewer. So I don't coach a lot of athletes um, only because I do go pretty deep and, and my athletes can consume some time based on the level that they're, they're performing at. Um, so uh, even with that, though, I start with the review of KPI, so key performance indicators. So when I set up my workflow in WKO, I want to surface certain what I believe is the key things that I'm looking at. And those can, for me, it's three things, right? What are my KPI numbers? One, I want to know compliance. Did the athlete do what I expected them to do? Um, and that's not like uh, a, a penal kind of thing. Like if you didn't, um, uh, you know, I'm going to punish you. It is, oh, that is not what I expected. I need to go deeper. So as I go review decision solution, that's a process of going deeper. Deeper. So I start with KPI. That's my review. Oh, their compliance looks good. Then I look at performance in the objective format. Did they generally hit the watts? Was this? Did it? Does it visually look right? Just a quick scan. I have a couple of key things I'm looking at in there. And then I move on to subjective data. I read the notes and I look at the subjective scoring. I always, even with all the subjective scoring, I require my athletes to write notes every day. If you don't write notes to me, um, I don't coach you. And if your notes say I went 250 watts for 20 minutes, I make you write more notes because I can read the power numbers. I need to understand how you felt and what was happening in the workout. So that's my review process, KPI focused. Now, and then I make, you know, when I'm done with that review, if all the KPIs look good, I don't go any deeper unless I'm specifically preparing for something. You know, you can overmanage in data, data can force you to overmanage your athletes and stuff like that. I, KPIs are good, good, quick review, everything's on track, next athlete. If there's something in the KPI that alerts me, now again, I'm not saying good or bad, it could be something that's just outside the norm, then I begin the drill down process. And the drill down process, well, that leads me into my step two. I need to make some decisions. So obviously, if the KPI was good, the decision is keep rolling, stick to the plan, right? Now, KPI bad. Well, the athlete totally failed in that workout. And, you know, I saw compliance was down. The notes were, wow, I just suffered and fell apart. Wheels came off. Now I need to look and gather information to make a decision. And this goes back to my point about data analytics. And I wish people would understand what I just am about to say. Because I said it earlier, I'll say it again, and I can say it as many times as you want. It's not data science. It's decision science. There is no perfect solution. There's no model that's going to tell you how to train or, or what to do or anything like that. There's too many variables when it comes to the human being. We can't measure all those variables in data science. You don't have nearly enough data. But what data does do is it improves the odds of correct decision-making. And that's how you use analytics. So when I see an athlete fail in a KPI, I go into analytics because something went wrong. I want to improve my odds of understanding what that is and making the right decision based off that.
So let's just say they had a really bad workout and I start looking at data. I'm like, well, wait a minute. It was 95 degrees out Fahrenheit. Um, you know, the athlete was having a highly stressful day. Um, you know, all maybe some other external factors, some other things. My decision, once I analyze all of those factors might be, Hey, you know, environmental, the athlete shouldn't be this tired or should have been okay. So let's just call that one a fail and press on. Or maybe I see all the environmental things was right, but the subjective data, the athlete wasn't sleeping. Maybe their their um, HRV numbers were a little crazy. Maybe they just during warm up, their their heart rate was totally suppressed or totally hyper. You know, different types of data. Then I might say, you know, the decision is now. Let's pull the plug for a day or two. You're you're at that razor's edge, and maybe rest is better. Or it could be the other way, right? They killed. They went. 10% over. They wrote a little longer and they crushed it on TSS as a compliance number, right? Because they're just feeling so good. Their fitness is coming on so fast. The decision, I'd look at other data. What were the power numbers? What are the trend over all of the intervals and say, oh, maybe we need to make the decision to add a little more load. So we're continuing to progress the strain on the system. And then finally, if like, wow, I've seen this compliant, this, this, I've reviewed and three or four days have been bad and decisions. We've made a couple of decisions to try to tweak that and we're still not fixing it. Now I need to go deep into the data and see if the data will help me understand a solution. And that's my final step. Wow. The solution is we'll just burn this athlete out in the cycle or the solution is I need you to go to the doctors and make sure you're not sick. I mean, it could be all kinds of things. I shouldn't say that, but, um, you know, I, I, it, the solution often is to pick up the phone and talk to the athlete and go deeper in the information. Have you been eating? Tell me what you're, how you're sleeping. Are you recovering? Are you in your recovery protocols? Are your recovery protocols falling? Because something is going wrong. So I need to create solutions. Long, long so answer. Can, can, you, can, can you define the difference there between the decision and the solution? Because the decision can be to give a rest day, for example, but it's not. You don't categorize that as the solution, just so that we understand uh, how how you use this, go through this process. Yeah. Okay. That's a really good question. Let's say you have an athlete that you just start working with, and you're saying, okay. So I want you to go out and do two times 20 at threshold, for example. And they have a local climb, a local 20-minute climb, you know, and they live close to a climb. And they go out and they knock out their 20-minute two times 20 at 300 watts. And then next week, everything's complying. So all that looks good. You just review, review, review. And then you have them to go two, two times 20, same workout, but you have them do it in the valley, in the flats. And they can only generate 280 watts. So my first thing is, oh, that's different. They've dropped off power. Maybe one more flats workout, you know, ah, I need to make, you know, I'm looking at this. What could have caused the problem? So a decision might be they're just um, not feeling great or we're fatigued and the power drop off is normal. A solution might be, and this would be pretty true for a fair amount of athletes, because they have a different pedaling stroke when they climb versus the flats, they simply cannot generate the power on the flats. So the solution I need to put in play when I want that athlete doing two times 20 at FTP at a closer, higher, more maximal power number, I always need to put them on a climb. Or the solution might be most of their performance is on the flats. I always need to, I need to do a better job of adapting them to putting out the 300 watts on the flats. So I would look at the data to make that determination for the solution. That though, the solution is probably the most related to the athlete's goals. What are their abilities and what are the demands of their events? 
So a solution is something you're putting in play longer term because what you're looking at, you know, you need to make, uh, you know, a fine line between what's a decision and a solution. A decision might just be, oh, well, they were burned out the second or third time they did it. I need a little more rest. Or a decision might just be, yeah, you know, maybe it is better to do in the hills. The solution is something, and here's what I call it, right, in decision, in, in this kind of solution. I always preach you should have a training strategy. A plan is an outgrowth of the strategy, not the strategy. Too many people, the plan is the strategy. Um, when you have a training strategy, a solution means I have to make changes to my strategy. A decision means I'm making changes to my tactics. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, got it. So uh, finally, a couple of more more questions uh, for coaches or athletes that are using WCO5 or are uh, potentially planning to start using it. Uh, you mentioned here a couple of times already time efficiency, and uh, that's something that is important. And uh, yeah, I can tell you as a coach, that's one of the reasons that I've enjoyed the, that you have so great dashboards preloaded because I could spend a lot of time setting up my own dashboards, but I really do enjoy the fact that you've helped me coach time efficiently with the, the things that you have set up. What are the the top three things that you would recommend for using WCO5 to for time efficient coaching or self coaching coaching if you're an athlete? I would pay attention to well, I would do one thing. First off, thank you for the compliment. Um, yes, and that's what we call views. So we put in, you know, a set of good basic views that should give you ninety nine percent of everything you need. That's our goal. So what you should do first, once you load WKO4 and you have data or WKO5, whoops, um, and you have data in it, right? Your data or your athlete's data, look through the different views. It's what we call shopping, right? <laughs> it's like you go to the list and you have WKO5, basic view for cycling, advanced view for cycling, basic view for run. Find the view that matches your athlete, multi-sport, whatever it is, right? Open the view that represents what the athlete is doing. Look through it. See if you got the information. Make sure you click through everything. Look what's in there. And then say, all right, let me look at a different view. So try a couple of views on, right? Shop through. And once you find one, great. Start using just one. One of the things that people do initially is they don't shop so they don't look at all the views. What they do is today I looked at this view and I used it for a day or two. And then the next day I used this view and I used it for a day or two. But wait, there was that chart, other chart that I kind of wanted. And they never settle into what they really want. They're always just kind of moving around. So step one, shop and select the view. Step two, read the insights dashboard. We put a fair amount, and it's always changing. You as the user, users cannot edit insights. Even though if you want the charts that are in there, just copy it. Actually, matter of fact, just drag it over to the other side of the bar, <laughs> and it'll make a copy on its own. Um, because we wanted insights things that we could feed to you, to the user. So as we have new science, new applications, and new features, a lot of the things we're talking about today, like dynamic FRC and training impact score and things like that, you're seeing phase one. Phase two is going to be rolling out here shortly. So we need a way to introduce those features. So if you're looking at insights, you're looking at some of the best minds in the business, giving you or attempting to give you their opinions, our opinions, and boil it down into actionable items of insight. So select your view, use the insights, lean on that heavy. And my final one is a strange one, right? Join and ask questions in the Facebook group. 
we have such a vibrant community of users who are interactive, polite. Um, we don't have that classic online arguing in our Facebook group. You can go to Facebook, just search WKO, join in there. If you have questions, we ask that you search for your most questions have been answered. Just search in Facebook. And if not, ask and you can get a whole plethora of views as long as your topic is related to WKO5. So I would say those three things, you do those three things, select your view, use insights, join the Facebook group, you'll have a really great user experience. And that will expose you all to the different types of education because WKO is, is a support system for coaching and training. There is a lot of learning out there around the WKO product. Well, that leads perfectly into the last question. You already mentioned the Facebook group as a great place to learn more. Uh, are there any other, you've mentioned the webinars as well, just to, to talk us through the, the different ways to to learn more about WKO 4 and 5 and going deeper. Yeah, so in WKO 4, we didn't have the best support because the reality is I, we'd created something so new, it hadn't been done before and, and we weren't quite sure how people would use it and writing the support for something that you're not sure about, <laughs> it's never easy either. But in WKO 5, we had greater foresight. So on WKO 5, the most important button you can find when you're new, there's a question mark up the top of the right. Click that question mark and it will launch our quick start guide right? And the quick start guide, it's, or you can just go to wkl5.com, right? The quick start guide is a series of walkthroughs that are simple screenshots, boiled down, simple way to figure out navigation and to get rolling, some short, what we call two minute tutorials on that section. And we'll teach you all the click here, click there. How do I open a workout? How do I open a segment? It gives you all the basics. But also in that quick start guide is a link top right called Education Center. And that Education Center is broken down into five key categories. Um, you know, and it's not that it, the Education Center is not the how do I open my, you know, how do I adjust an athlete name, things like it's not how to, it's true learning. And what it is, is it's five steps. It's getting started with WKO, not just Gee, you know, you get my point, not just opening an athlete, but how to really set up a workflow, how to maximize that setup early. So you learn how to get it right or how to tag athletes, how to build time ranges, all the things that if you put, you know, a good hour into setting up your WKO5 up front, you save tremendous amount of time every day. Then two, there's actually a second section called individualize your training. And now all of our training sections, they have a webinar, a recorded webinar, which lasts about an hour as the what we call the master or the parent, right? And then they have a bunch of short videos ranging anywhere from two to maybe at their longest, about 15 minutes, which are simply children. They're supporting topical things underneath there. So you'll see an overarching webinar and individualizing your training, which will show you all the benefits of a power duration model and eye levels and optimized intervals and all this amazing individualization that will dramatically improve your training and results. And if you just want to watch it topically, like what's this definition, how do I use that, you have shorter little videos underneath that. The next section is training and coaching with WKO. That's the process. You've asked me some questions about my process. I literally recorded it and shared it with everybody who has WKO. And if you go to that section, I think it's eight videos and it's initial testing, you know, it's, 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 
like an overview, then initial testing, then 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 determining your strengths and weaknesses, setting up your training targets, um, monitoring your training. I can't, you know, go in there and, and look at them all. I can't remember at the moment, but all the process steps, my opinion. And as I say in the videos, I, I encourage you to set up your own, but at least you can see mine as a process. Um, we have a section called track and monitor performance, which gives people insights and how to use and same idea videos and webinars, how to use uh, ongoing data, this whole idea of looking at the rhythm, the forest, as I was talking about earlier. And then we have a new series unfolding now and we, we roll out the series in Facebook. And then if you're part of the Facebook group, you can watch them as they unfold called creating analytics. Kevin does about a one hour webinar. Um, introducing how, if you do want to create your own analytics, like a good overview of how to do it. And then we're rolling out these short little two to five minute videos, breaking it down to all the little steps. So the support mechanisms, it's one of the things we've done way better than WKO4. You know, you should always know your own weaknesses. And that was certainly one of ours in WKO4, because now we understand how people want to use it, how they need to learn. So we have much better guidance through the onboarding and getting up and rolling. And then we have these great educational topics that aren't about the analytic. It's about how do I use this in my coaching process? It's the applied science, or I shouldn't say science, the, the application of the program to your coaching and training. That sounds really great. I haven't actually been through those, so I'm looking forward to to doing that in in the near future. And uh, the, there will definitely be something that uh, that I will enjoy, I'm sure, and, and a lot of coaches and athletes that that are using WKO five. That's uh, really all that I had. Um, as I've been saying, I'm really enjoying the the software, so it's uh, worth trying out uh, for especially for coaches. But uh, that's actually something that I could ask you still that uh, we haven't talked about. Uh, from from my perspective, I do see it definitely as a coaching tool. But uh, as you said, you've been working on the user experience, and uh, and it's also more applicable for for athletes than perhaps the the earlier versions were. The thing I've always I've been asked this question. I'll be honest. I'll, I've been asked the question about from athletes, self coach athletes, whether they should invest in WKO four a couple of times. And in most cases, I've said um, maybe, or I said no because I think that in a lot of the situations when the self-coach athletes get access to too much data they lose the side of the forest for the trees you know as you mentioned there but uh, but i think with wko5 and with if you the athlete actually puts in the effort to go through those videos and uh, and uh, learn about uh, set up their own process for how to get the most out of it as we've been talking about uh, that it can be really useful for athletes as well so can you just briefly touch on how you see this as a tool for coaches uh, and self-coach athletes well you know you said the right word, right? So as a tool, one of the main goals we wanted to do is give the self-coached and everyday athlete a better tool. That's why all the efforts on the improved UI UX and, and insights and surfacing things and pre-built views so you don't have to build charts and an easier experience because the demand to use it from the individual athlete's been high. Um, but the learning curve, you know, if it's not what you're getting paid for, like a coach, the learning curve in WKL4 was too high. So we've reduced that learning curve and that individual athlete, um, should use WKL5. I would have said the same about WKL4, to be honest with you. And I had a lot. Most athletes ask me, should I use WKL4? I'd say use Training Peaks Premium. So you get very familiar with that. And then when you've got enough learning curve and you're comfortable with the idea of using data, then test the waters with four. Um, I would probably still give that advice if you're totally new to 
training with data, training with power, training with heart rate. But the reality is I'd be way, I would absolutely recommend WKO5 to the everyday user. I would also say, though, you said something interesting, right? So it's the same tool for a coach and athlete. The one thing where the coaches have, right, because they did invest the learning in WKO4, they're still the master of the tool. So I'd be, I always say, you know, particularly new users, it's great to hire a coach who, who if you're interested in WKO5 or you have a coach, um, the best relationship is when both you and your coach are using WKO. And then I know that sounds somewhat self-serving, but it's honestly not. I'm, I'm just not that type. I'm not a silly kind of person. I never have been. Um, I believe one of my mantras of coaching is a well-educated and smart athlete is part of the accountability cycle of good coach-athlete relationships that lead to success. My athlete's smart enough to make sure I'm doing my job and can track results and hold me accountable. It opens the door for me to hold them accountable. And that's a synergistic cycle that improves the relationship. So the coaches have been invested in WKO for a while. It has been the higher end, the, the person who had the time to invest in the learning curve. WKO4 makes it way more accessible to the general market. But don't forget the fact those coaches have been using it for five years, creating custom analytics and are way ahead of the power curve. They are going to be able to to educate athletes and create a better relationship as athletes get on board with WKO5. That's a great perspective. Uh, any final words before we close off this interview? No, I mean, I appreciate your time and, 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 and talking about the product. I would say here's my final word. I shouldn't say no. I think, and I said this, you know, years ago, and I'll say it again, the pace of which data is being added to our training uh, metrics is almost overwhelming, right? And I think as we have the responsibility as a software developer is we need to solve that problem. And that, I think WKO5 is an excellent step in that direction as we look at multiple thresholds, automated views, insights. We're really trying to, I'll make up my own words, decomplicate it, right? We want to make it more, we want to be able to take in all of these different data channels and formats and and modes and all the things we're seeing in data and turn it into tangible, usable data. I think the next evolution of that is going to be how do we deal with all the actual athlete variables, these subjective data. And I'm super excited that we invested in that early because I think it's going to be the future of the learning when we are using data in sport. That's why you see such a push for sleep data, HRV, nutrition tracking. As we continue to up our endurance game, it's the variables. It's that extra data that's going to make the next step difference. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that uh, in terms of the actual endurance sport or specific performance or workout data there are still uh, i guess marginal gains to be be made but uh, when you when when you combine that with the subjective data as you call them that's where uh, very big incremental or exponential gains are still to be made it's uh, it's uncharted territory a, a little bit so so i think that you're absolutely onto something with that great so uh, Tim, uh, it was, it's been great talking to you. Uh, thank you so much for your time. And uh, yeah, I look forward to chatting again at some other point. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. I hope that you enjoyed that interview. I found it really fascinating. And as a WKO5 user, I also picked up a couple of really great pieces of advice that I will immediately start implementing in my own WKO5 and coaching workflow. 
I think the the main takeaways that I got here is first what Tim said about moving from data science to decision science. I think that really resonated with me. Uh, data is only valuable if uh, it actually helps you make better decisions and find solutions to problems. Uh, if uh, you're just collecting data, then uh, how is that helping you? Uh, it uh, needs to be actionable in some way and taking better decisions is, uh, is probably the, the number one uh, reason that data can become actionable. But that really puts the, the onus on, uh, on us as coaches to, to actually use it correctly or for self-coach athletes as well for that matter. But also WKO5 uh, has uh, taken the onus upon themselves to facilitate that decision making, which I think is great. And I can 100% sign off on, on the fact that they have really done a great job of that with the development of WKO5. My second takeaway is uh, set up a workflow that works for you, that allows you to make better decisions. And uh, as a recap, Tim's workflow was review, decision, solution. We talked about that uh, in some detail, so go back and listen to that again if you missed it. But the point isn't that you need to have the same sort of workflow. You can try out something different. The important thing is that you have a workflow that works for you and that helps you come to these better decisions. So you know why you're doing what you're doing and uh, and what the end goal of that is. And the final takeaway is the importance of these subjective slash well-being met- metrics. If, uh, for example, things like HRV, resting heart rate aren't uh, subjective, as Tim pointed out, uh, I thought after the interview that uh, perhaps subjective slash well-being metrics uh, would be a good catch-all term for them. Uh, no matter what terminology we use, the importance of them and that being in the future, when we really learn how to integrate them with the with the training and racing data, it can become even more important. So uh, get ahead of the curve now and really start to integrate them as well in your decision science and your coaching and self-coaching workflows. As usual, you can find the show notes for this episode on thattriathlonshow.com and I'll link to episode 72 as well in there and in the episode description where you can listen to my first interview with Tim. If you enjoy the podcast, make sure that you subscribe and also please share it with your friends and uh, other fellow triathletes uh, to help spread the word. I really appreciate it when you do that. Growing the podcast and keeping it keeping it growing and increasing in reach is really important for the long-term sustainability of it. So uh, you can play a role there by, by telling your friends, telling anybody who would enjoy to listen to it. And remember, it's not just for triathletes. Endurance athletes in general across the board of endurance sports are find, finding value in it. So if you have friends in other endurance sports, please share with them as well. Big thanks to our sponsors, Aroka, that you can find on aroka.com. Check out their wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, eyewear, and uh, other product categories and get 20% off your entire order with the promo code TTS, all caps. And thank you to Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Take their free online sweat test to get your individualized hydration strategy and try your first box or tube of electrolytes for free with the promo code thattriathlonshow, all one word, all caps. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.